Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 1139 of the Juice Box Podcast. Welcome back to the Grand Round series. Today, Jenny Smith and I are going to be discussing the communication needed between doctors and patients. Nothing you hear on the Juice Box Podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan. Don't forget to save 40% off of your entire order at CozyEarth.com. All you have to do is use the offer code JUICEBOX at checkout. That's JUICEBOX at checkout to save 40% at CozyEarth.com. When you place your first order for AG1 with my link, you'll get five free travel packs and a free year supply of vitamin D. Drink AG1.com slash juicebox. T1D Exchange is looking for you. They're looking for U.S. residents who have type 1 diabetes or are the caregivers of someone with type 1 to fill out a short survey. T1DExchange.org forward slash juicebox. When you completely fill out the survey, you're helping people with type 1 diabetes and you're helping to support the podcast. It only takes about 15 minutes. T1DExchange.org forward slash juicebox. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by U.S. Med. USMed.com slash juicebox or call 888-721-1514. U.S. Med is where my daughter gets her diabetes supplies from, and you could too. Use the link or number to get your free benefit check and get started today with U.S. Med. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by the Contour Next Gen Blood Glucose Meter. Learn more and get started today at contournext.com slash juicebox. Jennifer, welcome back to the Grand Round series. Today, we're going to talk about communication. Yay. Yeah, we'll see. Communication, that's a, that's a broad topic. <laughs> well, we're going we're gonna to lean on listeners a little bit for this one. Actually, maybe a little more so than we have in the past. We have a lot of feedback from listeners about what they wish their doctors would do regarding communication. So I'd like to step Great. through it. Yeah, it's a kind of a long one, so we'll jump right in. The first one here says, I want my doctor to know that I am an entire person who has diabetes, not a diabetic, and that this is not my entire life. It ebbs and it flows. My controls are normal and they're okay. And in the end, I need to be treated like a person. And, and I think that's a, a good way to start because, you know, you and I were just speaking before we recorded and we probably should have just said this while we were recording. So I'm going to bring it back up. Doctors need to talk to you like they're real and understanding how to communicate with people and be human and, and reflect while people are talking, not just talk at them, but see what they're going through and respond to that. You know, instead of just yelling orders, be more collaborative, I guess, is the way I would think about it. Right. And in that collaboration, what you're going to take away, whether you're a doctor or an educator or a nurse or, you know, whoever is the clinician that the person with diabetes is trying to interact with, they they need to take that all into consideration for the data that the clinician is looking at. Mm -hmm. because that data is only truly numbers. 
and those numbers translate into somebody's life and why they look the way that they do. Like you said, it might be, I've had a really great couple of weeks. Everything's been lovely. I had a week off, you know, from my job. I got to relax. I didn't have any crazy, I have to go to school because my kid got in trouble. (laughs) You know, all the variables that could sneak in, everything was calm. Whereas two weeks prior to that, maybe everything was hitting the fan, right? And so as a clinician, if you're not asking or learning how to communicate on a personal level, Mm -hmm. you're going to miss why the information looks the way that it does if you're really just looking at it black and white. People aren't numbers. I I don't imagine that anybody listening has never been in the situation where you kind of look up one day and you think, I haven't cooked a meal for myself in days. Like I've been eating leftovers or I stopped on the way home or I did something like that. And and it builds on you. You don't recognize that you're out of your rhythm. Yes. Right. And then if you go look at that week of blood sugars and say, I see a lot of spikes here and there's some lows and, you know, what happened? Right. That what happened, first of all, is mind numbing. I don't know what happened. It was two months ago. That's that's the first problem with it. But the second problem was even if I could remember, even if I looked at the chart and went, oh, that's the week that I, I wouldn't put two and two together. I wouldn't say, oh, that's the week I stopped cooking for myself that week because right. work was hard. Or to feel that humanity is important because otherwise what you're saying is, hey, what did you do? That's how it feels. And mm-hmm. you, A, don't know what you did. And B, you were trying the entire time. Like that, I think is the, that's where the damage point comes in is that these people are working really hard and trying to do well. It's not going their way. Okay. But instead of saying, what did you do? Do better. Find out what happened. If they don't know, then just say, look, let's just look at the graph and see what we can do here. You you know, like let's offer a suggestion. If you don't have a suggestion, then asking what happened is almost cruel. Do you know what I mean? Correct. Absolutely. Because Oftentimes, whether the person with diabetes voices it or not, they are coming in because there is something that is often not going 100% the way that they want it. They may not know themselves how to communicate that back to you as the clinician. Mm -hmm. And so for you to, it's almost finger pointing and it's a blame scenario when you're saying, well, what happened here? Pointing your finger at, you know, one high blood sugar, one really extreme low blood sugar. And again, The person may have no idea three weeks ago what happened, but if there's a recurring theme, then your job as a clinician is to help figure that out and give them suggestions and be able to say, well, I see that, you know, every three weeks you've got this big project that you're trying to do with your business. And I can see that this translates into meals that aren't, you know, as timely or a lot of stress that keeps things high. Why don't we try this? I can see that this variable is hard for you to make it better, maybe make you feel a little bit better, better, you know, looking blood sugars would help in this scenario. Let's try this. Try this setting change. Try try to, you know, have meals ordered at regular times so they come to your office right. or give them a solution that they can start with, I guess. <laughs> Something that is clear, concise, and you know is going yes. to reasonably speaking work too, because I think the other problem yeah. can be is when you just start like spitballing and they go home like you knew, you know, hey, the guy said, you know, I go home and you you right. put it into action. It doesn't work. You're like, well, he doesn't know what he's doing. And I'm still lost and he's going to yell at me when I go back again. And even if you're not yelling at them, they feel like they're being yelled at. Right. So, I mean, 
I have a pretty big personality and I still have been in that doctor's office and been like, oh my God, like what's going on? Like you're coming at me. Like, I don't think she was coming at me. I think I was somewhere deep down. I knew I'm not doing well at this. You know, like Arden was little. I didn't know what I was doing yet. And any kind of feedback felt attacking because I was, I was vulnerable, you know, like I, I was Mm -hmm. in a bad spot. I didn't know what I was doing. I was pretty sure I was hurting my daughter. I was starting to think about long-term stuff. Short-term, you know, was a mess. And then that's where, I don't know, like that's where that part of the doctor's thing is so important. Like it's how they approach you. It's like coming at a, I don't know, it's like it's like you're approaching a stray cat. Like you got a very slow. <laughs> you know, right, like, right, exactly. Hey, I'm here to help. And, <laughs> yeah, like, right. And when you when you first come into that that office space with the person who has come in, they've you know made their appointment time and they made the time to bring in some records and reports and whatever, your question to them is, I'm always asked, I mean, this is my N of one, but well, how are you? Do you have time to hear how I am? <laughs> like I could, I could tell you how I am, yeah. right? But what is important right here and now for you to know about how I am? Mm. What are the biggest things? And this goes to the person with diabetes. It's what are the checklist things that are really, really important so that when they say, how are you? You can say, well, I'm okay, or I'm doing really great. I've changed this, I've changed that. You know, this is looking much better. So there has to be enough communication to really, to really, I guess, give to that question of how are you? And you have to be receptive of it too. Yeah. In my mind, you need to hear people mm-hmm. and really see what's going on with them. And at the same time, you need to be a leader, right? And not a leader in the way of like, oh God, this guy again. But like, you know, like, right. right. You know, Prior to the podcast and even in the early days of the podcast, I would do a, like I'd have a lot of phone calls with people where I would just talk to them about their diabetes. Mm-hmm. And what I learned pretty quickly is that often they don't know what they're talking about. They, they think like they think they know what's happening and they're not right. Now, you still need to listen to them mm-hmm. and hear what they're saying. And then I hear what you're saying, you know, and uh, what I think might be. And I never know what to think. Like, how do you know when you're just meeting somebody very quickly, right? You go back to basics. Yes. You just say, look, let's look at your basal first. And I'll tell you that the easiest question I've ever found is, away from food or active insulin, does your blood sugar sit stable? Right. If if yes, where? Mm-hmm. You know, if that number is 90, I go, ooh, basal's probably okay. If you tell me, oh, it sits very stable at 120, 130, 150, 180, I go, oh, basal seems weak to me. Let's fix your basal first, and then maybe this will, you know, help your meal boluses to work better. And I always say, like, you know, adjust your basal, get it right, be careful while you're bolusing and correcting, because now you're adding extra basal, and these boluses and corrections are going to eventually need, you know, less insulin. Let's get this right first. Give them a path. You know, once you right. get your basal right, go back and reevaluate your meal insulin, your carb ratio, right. and your and your insulin sensitivity. And honestly, just telling people that it mostly works for them, you know, like it's, but when you start going, I don't know, let's try this at nine o'clock. Like, I, I don't know what you're doing then. You, you know what I mean? Right. It's going to make a different right. problem. So this next person says, uh, you know what? It's a long, it's a long story, but basically they said, I was basically told I'm probably going blind. I'm probably losing my foot. I got very jaded, which really quickly actually did turn into me being non-compliant. I stopped going to an endo, just went to a GP to get my scripts. And, and I think that the, the takeaway 
here was that hope is just is very important. And that this, these initial mm-hmm. messages over and over again, I, I want to say initial messaging sets people on paths. Contournext.com slash juice box. That's the link you'll use to find out more about the Contour Next Gen blood glucose meter. When you get there, there's a little bit at the top. You can click right on blood glucose monitoring. I'll do it with you. Go to meters, click on any of the meters. I'll click on the Next Gen and you're going to get more information. It's easy to use and highly accurate. Smart Light provides a simple understanding of your blood glucose levels. And of course, with second chance sampling technology, you can save money with fewer wasted test strips. As if all that wasn't enough, the Contour Next Gen also has a compatible app for an easy way to share and see your blood glucose results. Contournext.com slash juicebox. And if you scroll down at that link, you're going to see things like a buy now button. You could register your meter after you purchase it. Or what is this? Download a coupon. Oh, receive a free Contour Next Gen blood glucose meter. Do tell. Contournext.com slash juice box. Head over there now, get the same accurate and reliable meter that we use. Diabetes comes with a lot of things to remember. So it's nice when someone takes something off of your plate. US Med has done that for us. When it's time for Arden's supplies to be refreshed, we get an email. Rolls up and in your inbox says, Hi Arden, this is your friendly reorder email from US Med. You open up the email, it's a big button that says, click here to reorder, and you're done. Finally, somebody taking away a responsibility instead of adding one. US Med has done that for us. An email arrives, we click on a link, and the next thing you know, your products are at the front door. That simple. USMed.com slash juicebox or call 888-721-1514. I never have to wonder if Arden has enough supplies. I click on one link. I open up a box, I put the stuff in the drawer, and we're done. U.S. Med carries everything from insulin pumps and diabetes testing supplies to the latest CGMs like the Libre 3 and the Dexcom G7. They accept Medicare nationwide, over 800 private insurers, and all you have to do to get started is call 888-721-1514 or go to my link usmed.com slash juicebox. Using that number or my link helps to support the production of the Juice Box podcast. So mm-hmm. this person thought, well, I'm going to die anyway. Why try? Why try? Yeah. Right. Why continue to go to somebody who hasn't? And in this case, not everybody, but in this case, they weren't being given anything positive. Valuable. Yeah. To try positive and valuable mm-hmm. and applicable probably to their life. They were being maybe given some advice about, well, adjust this here or change this there. Mm-hmm. Or maybe it was the don't. Well, don't do this. Why are you eating at McDonald's every day? Or why are you doing, right? I mean, don't don't badger somebody into a change that isn't really going to make much difference yeah. for them. I, I get the idea. So I think what probably happens is that jaded doctors who have seen more than their fair share, you know, in their defense, more than their fair share of people who are just not doing well. And it probably seems hopeless. And they probably think, let's just jump to the end and try to scare them. And, you know, because I've seen that work with a few people. And by the way, I've actually heard from adults who the scare thing worked on them. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And but more people than not say scaring me just scared me or scaring me froze me or it made me think, I can't win. Right. 
it's why everything goes back to understanding how insulin works. Because in every situation you find yourself in, whether it's somebody who's struggling forever or just starting out, if you give them these these basic tools to begin with, they have successes that they can build on. Right. You know, and it relieves stress. And and I think that, you know, this next statement here from somebody said, I wish somebody just would have told me I could have, with insulin, moved my A1C. Mm-hmm. It's funny, they just didn't have that idea. Like I was told seven's a good A1C. And also almost that the numbers that they were getting were as good as it was going to possibly get, that it was all about almost a stable point of where their body wanted to sit in terms of blood sugar mm-hmm. and that it was going to sit there and other variables didn't have any impact on that. One of them obviously being insulin and that an adjustment that's more precise could actually move the needle in the direction that you wanted to go. Even without adjusting activity or food or anything else, a lot of times it's the right place to adjust the insulin. And how hard would it be to say, look, the ADA recommends this number, but I'm your doctor. I'm standing in front of you. I don't have diabetes. My A1C is probably 4.9. You're not going to probably be able to get that, but I bet you we could get you into the sixes and then work on the fives, maybe make some modifications to how you eat. Who knows? Like, right. If you want to go low carb, maybe we could get you in the fours. Right. But when you say seven's okay, and the only thing is is a quarterly report card and they hit the seven or even, I know it doesn't sound crazy, but 7.9 in somebody's head is still seven. It's still seven. Yeah, yeah. Right. They go, oh, I did it. I'm in the sevens. In the sevens. But what's your A1C? Will you tell me? Will I tell you? Sure. Yeah, okay. My A1C is 5.5. Okay. That's what we want. That was my last one. The one before that was 5.6. So really, I'm, I, it's there. Yeah, right? right. It's there. Right. It's five. You have type 1 diabetes. It's 5.5. Five, it's 5.6. Five, you know, you manage that by understanding insulin, exercise, and diet. Boom. Like, you know, if I didn't want to exercise, if I was Jenny, but I didn't exercise, she'd probably have a six too. Yeah. Right? Sure. Yeah. And be using more insulin than I use, respond to food differently mm-hmm. than I respond. Absolutely. There are those big variables that you do have to understand. But I mean, insulin is, it's the mover of blood sugar. I mean, right? And if you have it squared away and you have somebody to guide you, I think, Thanks to the podcast, obviously, I think people have a lot better understanding of insulin and the fear component gets removed and they're willing to do their own trials of changes. But then there are still a good majority of people who are not confident enough about making adjustments and are still going back to their clinical team to make those. And because they're not made maybe at most every three months, you're left with this idea of, Again, I'm seven, I'm seven one, I'm, you know, whatever. And the doctor says that that's, that's in a really great place or it's come down. So I'm, I'm clearly moving in the right direction and you are, Mm -hmm. but it could be improved even further. You could be getting closer to what we, we would hope for getting in the range of people without diabetes safely, of course. You know, and people, I think generally speaking, humans like reaching, Right. They like seeing something out ahead, trying for it and succeeding. It feels good. It works. It, I mean, we spend so much time talking about, oh, I scrolling. It's you know, your dopamine. You're de- you could give people a dopamine hit with a with a good blood sugar. <laughs> like if somebody came in to this conversation right now and they said, look, you guys are talking about a 7A1C. Mine's 10. I'd, you know, 
I'd, I'd kill somebody for a seven. You don't have to kill somebody for a seven. First of all, you just, you know, need some changes. Use insulin. Yeah, just make some changes in your settings and mm-hmm. how you're, you know, timing your insulin. That's it. I mean, honestly, good settings, pre bolus your insulin, A1C somewhere in the sixes. Mm-hmm. You know, it just, it, it really will be. If you're in the tens, you don't know what you're doing. That's all. For a doctor to look at that and say, oh, I give up on this one. I mean, if you knew what I knew or what Jenny knew, you would go, oh, I could fix this tomorrow. I could, you know, like, what are we doing here? So. And the unfortunate thing about those A1C, there is sort of a a range, right? A1C is over, I think it's over about a nine or a 10, really is a a deficit of lots of basal and bolus. There's a deficit, definitely. And the person with diabetes may not know what to change. The clinician, the one with the degree and all of the, you know, panels on their walls and whatever, (laughs) they're the ones that should be able to say, hey, your A1C is here. Clearly, there's not enough insulin. And you might then start to add insulin to hopefully get those, those numbers down. Anytime the A1C is kind of like above where you'd want, let's say it's above seven, but kind of under that 10, then we start looking a lot more at meal times. Mm -hmm. And we start looking at, okay, as you said earlier, if you can float around at a, at a stable blood sugar, even if it's 120, right, and you're safe there, then your basal isn't really the wrong thing. What we end up seeing is these major excursions around meal times, which could be relative that the dose isn't necessarily wrong, that it's the timing. Yeah. People haven't been taught the right timing of their of their dose. It could be both. It could be timing and that the dose has never been appropriately adjusted. And so those those A1Cs as a, you know, just average yeah. could be brought down by attention in a different place. And a little trick to figure out if that's the case is if that stability is higher than you want it to be. But it, like Jenny's saying, it's very stable. If you missed on a meal prior, like she's saying, you might end mm-hmm. up at 120 with a perfect basil and you know basil's doing its job perfectly it's holding you steady it's not its job to shoot you down but i tell people all the time if you see that stability higher and you're not sure is this my basil or did i miss on a meal correct it and when it starts to go down if it goes down and stays down you missed on the meal if it mm-hmm. goes down and it comes back up that could be your basil being too weak basil. yep yeah it's a simple way to just check to see what's happening that's a thing you should be able to empower people with this this person says i want my doctor to not be so by the book I'd love for her to constantly be educating me. Let's talk about off-label use for medications if we need to. I'd like her not to be afraid to help me change my settings, to empower me to change my settings. And just because I do have an A1C that's lower, it doesn't mean that I don't need help ever. Right. And I made a note next to that one. I said, you got to be a guru a little bit. Like it's, I mean, the buy the book thing, it's not going to work for this. Like you, you need their variables, you need your information, you need the tools, you need the understanding of how to use insulin. They all have to work together. You can't mm-hmm. just say, you know, 15 minutes, 15 carbs, like that kind of stuff. It's right. It's too bare bones. It doesn't, it doesn't do the right things for you. No. And it, I think a lot of the beginning tidbits of information that are given, they're just a starting place, kind of like the 1515 rule, which is really, really old school, obviously at this point, but it's still being taught because it's a it's a quick and easy teach. But then you have to end up going beyond that as the clinician when you can say, okay, I've taught them this, they're using it, but now my job is to say, this isn't working. Maybe you need less. 
Mm-hmm. Or maybe we need to consider a change to this, or maybe we need to to do this. And in the visits with people, then you have to bring that in so that they can see why you're making suggestions or changes. Don't just give them a directive and expect them to move forward. They need to understand why. What are you seeing? Yeah. What are you seeing that's suggesting I should change this or to change that or to think about this differently? Because otherwise you're just sending them out with, a map that doesn't apply to their life. I wonder if doctors don't feel almost embarrassed to talk out loud, to think out loud, and which would be a shame because it's a large part of how I taught my daughter to take care of herself mm-hmm. was just everything that we were doing was spoken. Hey, it's time for you to change your pod. You know, we don't want to leave it on too long because you're only supposed to leave your cannula in for, you know, about three days. So let's not wait. Let's get that off now. Right. Oh, you know, when we put it on, we'll watch your blood sugar. If it goes up, maybe we'll have to put some insulin in with a new site next time. My daughter doesn't know. She could not sit down and explain diabetes to you, but she can do it. Right. Because it's become habit because she just knows what to do. Because I'm narrating her life around diabetes out loud and not all the time. Like, I don't want people to think, oh my God, this guy up this kid's you know what I mean? Like, right. just, yeah, just, you know, like at times when something was happening, we'd do it. You know, a plate would come out. And I'd go, hey, you know what I'm thinking here? We're going to bolus. You think about how much you think it's going to be. And then we'll compare, you know, and she'd say, I think it's 45 carbs. And I'd go, all right, where do you see the carbs? You know, no, don't just guess the number. Tell me where you see it. And then I'd say, I see what you're seeing, too. But I think you're forgetting the breading on the chicken. Mm-hmm. So let's throw in like seven more for the breading. And that over there is fried. And so I think you're going to get a little bump later from from the slowdown mm-hmm. in your digestion. So why don't we put a little more in for that too? And then years later, she just knows how to do it. Like it's not, right. I think that there's that, the doctor brain learns differently, I, I imagine. I don't know. I don't have it. I have more of what you might call like an artist's brain. Like I just, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I'm a, I'm a talker when I when I work with people Mm -hmm. and I'm also, when I respond to email requests or inquiries about data and whatever, I have very lengthy like emails and a very lengthy discussion because I talk a lot and (laughs) I want you to go forward with why I'm suggesting a change or even if I'm questioning, Hey, let's work together. What do you think? You know, your life better than I know. I see that we could do it this way, but I also think that we could do it this way. Mm. What do you think you'd like to try first? So it gives some options and it gives them the ability to move forward out of our visit together to try something without checking back in right away or without going three months and then saying, well, it didn't work. I didn't know what else to do. So I just kept doing it. Look, I don't know how many doctors are allowing emails now. I guess there's a lot of portals where you can message people, but people need to feel autonomous. Like they just mm-hmm. really do. They need to, like, and if, even if it's a new person and you're like, God, I can't let them make too many changes. They don't know what they're doing. I mean, they can move their basal 10%. Like, you know what I mean? Like they, you could, you could give them a little bit of freedom so that they could like trial and error a, a little bit. And I, I'm assuming Correct. the word error doesn't sound right to a doctor, but that freedom that you give them, it's how you get to where you're trying to take them. Like you can't shackle them the whole time and then go, I don't know why they don't run. You know what I mean? Like. Right. It's like giving somebody this dose adjustment. Maybe you explain it, but then saying, you know what? Try this for two or three days. And if this isn't quite enough or it's just too much, then we're going to give you this next option. 
giving them, handing it to them and saying, here, here, here's an option. It's not just you're stuck at this. And you know what? For further collaboration, it's check back in, send me an electronic message and let me know. Did it work? Did it not work? I, I'm happy to check back in with you to make sure that I give you another suggestion or to see that it actually is safe to continue changing things, mm -hmm. right? I think also if you don't believe that conversating with people can lead them to understanding things, you should, uh, I'll, I'll tell you this little story. So Jenny and I have made all these different series together and the feedback overwhelming, I'm talking about overwhelmingly, like hundreds of thousands of you know, millions of downloads, right? And people come back, I listen to this, my A1C is in the sixes, blah, blah, blah. And I even to the point where I sometimes think, what the hell did we say in there? You, you know what I mean? Right. So like, <laughs> right, what really hit for that person? Oh my God, like, I don't think I know that much about it. So I did this thing recently and it's gonna come out on my social media at some point. But I, chat GTP, like AI has gotten to the point now where it's fascinatingly good at breaking down conversations. Mm -hmm. So behind the scenes, I'm feeding the transcripts of everything you and I have done together into AI. And I'm telling it just one simple thing. What are the key takeaways for people living with type 1 diabetes? And it writes in bullet points. My brain doesn't write in bullet points, but it does. Wow, that's cool. It's so good, Jenny, that when I put it in front of you, you're going to think you wrote that list yourself, or you're going to think I wrote it, or you're going to think we wrote it together. It's really- Which technically we kind of did. We did. All we're doing is feeding information and something is putting it together in very concise- It literally can read through it and filter out all the bullshit and just come back with this is what was spoken about. I'll tell you this, we, you and I did an episode called- um, setting basal insulin, the math behind basal insulin or something yeah. like that, mm -hmm. you can ask the transcript what your basal insulin should be based on your weight and a couple of other things. And it just from our conversation knows the answer. It figures it out for yeah. you. That's insane, right? But here's the point. Wow. Here, here's my bigger point. I know I'm helping people with this conversational style, but I also know there are some people who don't enjoy this conversational style. Right. So I'm finding a way to give that information to them the way they want it. Doctors have to do that too. You can't talk to people the way you learn. Right. I'm sure all your engineer patients are probably thrilled with you. You, you know what I mean? Like, seriously. But if I came in and you started bullet pointing me to death, I don't know what to do. If you told me right now to take three thoughts that I understand and write bullet points about them, I guarantee you I'd write them out in a paragraph instead. Right. And then I'd have to stop and break the paragraph apart and then reword them so they look like bullet points because my brain doesn't work that way. It's really something. I mean, what you're kind of boiling it down to is what I feel about educating the way that I do is getting to know a person. I understand that I have a little bit of a different way to do that in, you know, how we work with people, mm -hmm. but, and in an office space, time is really the constraint. I get that. But because I have the time, the nice thing is that I could tell you what impacted someone's blood sugar in one way compared to another's because I know them. I don't know them, just their name. I know them. I likely know the siblings in the house. And I know that this child goes to a grandparent's house, you know, four times a week and they're served these things versus at home. It's different. And so those are some of the things that also go into management that may not be a setting change mm -hmm. and that you have to be able to learn in order to educate or to be able to teach a strategy that's applicable to that one person. I know that I teach differently, 
a little bit differently for each person I have the opportunity to work with because I meet them where their need is. I think if a doctor hears you say that and thinks, I can't do that, I think, yes, you could. You you can. You just need more practice at talking to people. I Mm -hmm. swear to you, just call me. Like, get on the podcast and we'll chat. And just after an hour, you'll be like, oh, I can just conversationally talk about diabetes and people understand it. That's crazy. I'll do that. You know, it, it's, it's so doable. Um, Jenny, this person here says, if you don't know something, just tell me you don't know. Right. <laughs> yes. Honesty would be the bedrock of our, of our, our relationship. And I, I actually just interviewed someone recently who had that story. She asked a question about her pump to her doctor. And instead of bullshitting her or sending her to go and go watch a YouTube video, which by the way, there are a lot of comments in here from people like, do not go tell me to watch a YouTube video. Like, teach me how to do the thing. Right. Okay. So if you, the doctor, don't know how to do it, I mean, hey, why don't you take a weekend? You know what I mean? Because it's kind of your job. Be honest. And so anyway, this doctor says, I don't know. I'm going to find out and come back to you. And then they actually followed through and did it. Yes. And it was a big deal for this lady. You know, that would be a, that's a big deal for me. I mean, I have fired essentially, or just not gone back to clinicians through the history of my adult life as choosing my own, you know, clinical team, because I got the sense very much that they couldn't answer my question. They kind of BSed around not knowing how to tell me that they didn't know. Mm-hmm. And so I, I was just like, oh, it's okay. I'll find somebody else. <laughs> well, this person says, I wish my doctor not only knew how to tweak you know, my diabetes, but my lifestyle, like have mm. like a, she, she actually says here, I wish you had a primo list of referrals, mental health, you know, um, nutrition, stuff like that. A CD that actually knew what was, that was willing to work with you. And listen, I'll say this. I know a number of doctors privately. Don't just say like, oh, there's a guy over here. I know the girl in this practice and you know, they're crap and you send people to them anyway, because they're part right. of the system or something like that. You just create another problem. Mm-hmm. Again, say, you know, I don't know anybody that's going to fit that bill. You should ask around a little bit or call some offices, ask some leading questions. How do you guys deal with this? You know, like pick, right. pick on your own. But yeah, they, this person's like, you know, please just help me find other practitioners at times. If you can't do it, just say, I don't know. Let's get you to this person. And sometimes that takes from the clinical or, you know, the physician angle that That means that even if you can only refer to people within your organization, then know the people that you do need to refer to, right? Know the mental health specialists in your organization. Get to know a couple of them. Who do you really click with? Who really would be great and who's kind of iffy and totally wouldn't be somebody for diabetes to talk to, right? Get to know kidney specialists. Get to know good cardiologists. Get to know your system because I guarantee that there's not just there's often not just one practitioner mm-hmm. to refer to. And if you get to know those different teams, you'd have a better list that you could easily you know, pull out or look up on your notes on your phone and say, uh, you want to see this person? You could see this person, but they're not my first choice. Why? Who, who cares? It's important for the person that you're telling. And if you don't think that's important, this person says, look, I'm a researcher and a reader. So I ended up clashing with my doctor who just wanted to take complete control and not empower us at all. Mm. If you're a doctor who's like, that's how I want it. Like, I'm going to crack the whip and everybody's just going to do what I'm going to say. Uh, this person said, I uh, switch practices because of that. Yeah. Because, all, on top of that, 
she was told that her and her daughter were difficult patients. <gasps> yeah. Oh. For wanting to understand how to take care of themselves. Now think about the psychological ramifications of that. If you're like, not everybody can speak out. Here's a person who spoke up, right? And, and, but most people are head down. A lot of people right. are head down, right? If you dominate them, they'll take that and they'll never stick up for themselves ever. And you will right. be directly responsible for the poor health outcomes that they have. And you won't think mm-hmm. so. You get around at a party and tell your, tell your friends what a great job you're doing for everybody. But this is how these people could feel. Yeah. yeah. I think it it kind of goes along with a lot of, not, I wouldn't say ha- a lot, but maybe half of the time I hear from parents, especially where their pediatric practice really wants to do the load of the adjustments. They really don't want the parents stepping in and adjusting and doing things in between the visits, which may not be close enough together as a child is growing and all those changes are happening. It's not soon enough. Now, there are really awesome practices that have a lot of close, you know, I guess, communication. But then the other ones do a lot of hand slapping. Why did you change this? Mm -hmm. How would you adjust that? I told you not to do this or, you know, that doesn't help. And long term, if the child is in the room hearing those comments, they're also now learning that they don't have any voice in their own health. I don't know what I'm doing. And maybe worse, my mom doesn't know what she's doing. Right. I think that's a thing I see all the time, especially when we speak in public, Jenny. And, you know, I, you know, I'll go to the parents and I'll, you know, I'll I'll lay some stuff out for them. And then you go to the kids and you're like, hey, you know, I I told your parents some stuff today. And maybe they'll and the kids are like, my mom does not know what she's doing. They'll come right out and say it like she's tried three things. My A1C is still seven. Maybe that's the most just the most terrible thing It's taking a child's, you know, Confidence in Confidence who in is their, their parent away, yeah. you know, like mm-hmm. what's going to happen at the end of this series, Jenny, and I gave it away a little bit here, but there's going to be an episode where I'm just going to read the takeaways for everybody. And I'm going to go over them with other people in like kind of um, bonus episodes or supporting episodes for this series. In the end, as a doctor, empathetic, kind, if you don't know something, figure it out. Teach people how to use insulin, know how to talk about that very fluidly. And that's all you have to do. Like, like yeah. it just, there's not much more to it than that. Then let it be a conversation and give them, give them power. Now, look, do you have some people who, you know, you're like, listen, if I give them power, they're going to kill themselves in five seconds. Like, I'm, I'm not saying sure. those people, you know what I mean? But those people can also be helped mm-hmm. with basic tools and a little bit of like carrot and stick. Like mm-hmm. there's no nothing wrong with saying, hey, you're a 10. No problem. I think in six months we could be in the eights. Mm-hmm. Like I'm going to help you get your settings right. Then you do a couple things for me. We'll come back, do another blood draw. We get you down to the eights. Now we're off to the races. I don't see why a year from now you couldn't have a 6A1C. Like give people something mm-hmm. to work towards. Like we're basically right. just ants, Jenny. <laughs> Humans are not good without a task. No. They're not. No. Mm-mm. You got to give them something to do. You know, right. You know, and from um from the doctor's standpoint, too, I think when we're talking about diabetes, you're talking about a specialty, right? You're talking about beyond just general practice, you've chosen to go into something that requires you to keep up with the changes that are happening. Mm-hmm. 
And this is very specific. And you might be, you might end up being an endocrinologist who has nothing to do with diabetes. And then that's great. That's your practice is not specific to that. But if it is, you should be able to answer a question about a device. You should be able to keep up with what medications, what is changing, how to use it, who to use it for. You should be able to answer questions because you've chosen to specialize. It would be like (laughs) if I climbed into a Nissan Altima that said driving school on the side of it, got behind the wheel, looked over at the person in the other seat and said, which one of these makes it go? And you said, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) Right. Well, then what am I paying you for? Right. Absolutely. I just, I, I don't understand if you've chosen, as I said, if you've chosen to specialize, you need to know your specialty. Jennifer, there is no doubt in my mind that if I wanted to make a living a different way, I could offer private courses to doctors. And I think in three hours, teach you how to take care of your patients. Mm -hmm. I know you could do it too. There's a lot of people that could do it. But my point is, if that could be done for you, you could probably do that for yourself. You know, like you don't like go like find out. One of the things I'm always fascinated by is someone comes in the office, they figured it out. They get their A1C where they want it. They've got these great stable graphs. And the first thing that happens is the doctor yells at them out of fear. You're too low. You're going to have a seizure. What about saying, hey, what did you do? Right. Could you tell me what you just did? Because I got to be honest with you. I didn't see this coming. Right. Happens all the time. And if they say something like, I listen to a podcast, don't yell at them and say the internet's not a good place for you to learn because <laughs> your doctor's office right. hasn't been a good place for them to learn. They're trying to figure something out. So in the end, Jenny, meet people where they are, give them agency. And for God's sakes, think before you speak. Yes. Leading a sentence in the wrong direction leads 15 minutes into the wrong direction. Mm-hmm. Start strong. I wish don't, my, point, don't point fingers. Do I not point fingers at people. Like it's, we're in this together. And give people, I can't believe I'm going to say this. You got to give people their flowers too. When they do well, you got to like, and it can't yep. feel phony. You got to really mean it. You know, right. this is amazing. Yeah. I know how much hard work this took. Good for you. I think there's more. Keep going. Right. And it doesn't have to be with what you, what you see as where you would want them to be. If you've got somebody you've been working with who is so fearful of lows that they run blood sugars at 250 or 300 and now your work together or whatever education they've provided themselves, now they're averaging a blood sugar around 190 or 200, that's a give them flowers. Mm -hmm. That's not a, well, we really want to be lower than this. Oh, no, no, no. They've achieved something. Like, (laughs) let's keep the ball rolling, right? You have to give them good positive reinforcement regardless of what your down the road like goal is for them. My daughter's first endocrinologist was brilliant. I could tell by talking to her. She never helped me once with diabetes. She just stood in the room smart and said smart things and um didn't help anything. That didn't translate into helping you, did it? No, 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 no. I was uh, in a panic. <laughs> like, you know, it might have been easy to say things like Hey, if your blood sugar is too high, you might not have enough insulin. I would have gone, oh, that makes sense. <laughs> Thank mm-hmm. you. You know, uh, Jenny, there's a note here from you that says, please don't look at a static number and then say everything is great. <laughs> right. And I wonder if, I don't know if I gave context to it, but I think that I think that I was possibly talking about A1C too there. Mm-hmm. Because it is, it's, we understand that A1C is just an average you really do have to get into the 
where is the A1C coming from? What are the kind of the data points that are pointing to this? Because then you have more room as the clinician to say, gosh, you came in, your A1C is now, you know, 5.8 and it used to be 6.8. And in my mind, that's lower than I want it to be. But gosh, that A1C is really stable. Look, Mm -hmm. you have like less than 1% of the time low. You have a standard deviation that's like those, those little pieces that go up to make that one standard value, Yeah, that's really important to look at. Mm. I'm going to run through a couple things here at the end for people. I wish my doctor was a resource for other resources. Tell me, why did I have to, this person says directly, why did I have to find this podcast on my own? Uh, listen, there are plenty of doctors, and I want to say thank you to all of them that recommend this podcast every hour of every day. The Facebook group, which gets 150 new members every four days, is overwhelmingly they have to answer a couple of questions. It's a private group, right? One of them is, where did you hear from this? From my physician, from my doctor, from my hospital. Like, it's a fair amount of people. So thank you to all of you doing that. Obviously, I don't think we're talking to you. But, you know, for everyone else, if you don't know, send me somewhere that might know. And don't do that thing of like, well, I don't know what you're going to hear when you get there. Because the thing that's <laughs> happening now is bad. So, right. you know, I don't know. Like, what could go wrong now? My A1C is nine and a half. I'm on the fast track here. You know what I mean? Like, like, go try something. Like, whatever happened to, like, I don't know, get out there and do something. Like, sometimes just doing anything and seeing a little bit of a, a positive return is enough to like, supercharge and get you going again. Even local support networks, people are asking here, like, please know where I can go meet other people. My teenage daughter just hears you're doing, oh, this is, I think we've covered this in another one, but there are people who are looking for more, okay? Mm -hmm. So don't just look at their 65A1C and go, you're doing great. Because they might want to do better and they'd like to hear from you. I mean, they know they're doing, 65 is great. They know they're doing great. So there's a double-edged sword there. You could lull somebody into complacency, but what this person says specifically is when my daughter hears that, then I go home and try to say to her, hey, listen, we should try pre-bolusing five minutes longer. She goes, hey, doctor said we're doing great. So, right. yeah, you took away her desire to try to help herself. Mm-hmm. There's a way to say you're doing well, but there's always room for improvement. So here are some ideas, like that kind of stuff. Right. Real quickly, don't make us feel bad about my A1C. Don't say things like, well, it's okay this time. Please don't use guilt as a communication tool. And then here it says, um, this is some feedback from somebody else that just kind of gave me like a, a stream of consciousness that I want to kind of end here with. She said, relationships, person to person, person to diabetes, clear relationship expectations, level setting, need, people need to feel safe, freedom to express things is very important. Psychological safety is a big part of how you can get these visits and your relationship to work in everybody's favor. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of where I'm at today with communication. If you have a minute, I'm going to share something with you, Jenny. Okay. But go ahead. Anything you want to say or finish with before I jump to the end? No, I was actually going to add one thing to that list is the be supportive of the caregiver. Mm-hmm. Be supportive of a caregiver. I talk you know, a lot about like parents as the caregiver for kiddos and be supportive in the way that you would be willing, again, this goes along just communication, hear what they need and also hear what they've tried 
And if the child or the teen is in the room, be supportive of the efforts of what the parent is really trying to do. So again, you you may have some things to share with them, but really try to prop them up (laughs) with all the effort they've been putting in. And if they come to you with questions, being able to, again, communicate back in a way that they can understand how could this work? Could this be something that would be better? Just really support them. That's a perfect way to end. I was going to share one of the takeaways with you. So from episode, the second episode of the Grand Round series is called Diabetes Diagnosis. And I asked an artificial intelligence to give me the key takeaways from that episode. And it said, doctors in regular primary care settings may diagnose diabetes due to the rarity of the condition and the similarity of symptoms to other illnesses. Misdiagnose, excuse me. It is important for patients to clearly communicate their symptoms and concerns when contacting their doctor's office. Misdiagnosis or delayed diagnosis can lead to complications such as diabetic ketoacidosis. Doctors should be proactive in ordering appropriate tests such as blood work and urinalysis when patients present with symptoms that could be indicative of diabetes. Patients should not be dismissed or ignored when they express concerns or symptoms that could be related to diabetes. Education and guidance on diabetes management should be provided to patients at the time of diagnosis, including information on insulin use, blood sugar management, and the impact of diet and exercise on their blood glucose levels. Doctors should be aware of the impact of their words and actions on patients' mental health and well-being. Collaboration between primary care and diabetes specialists can ensure comprehensive and effective diabetes management. Patients should be directed to reliable sources of information and support, such as diabetes education programs and online communities, and doctors should continuously update their knowledge and skills in diabetes management to provide the best care for their patients. That's what AI picked out of your and my conversation. Isn't that fascinating? Well, and what it actually, it's what's interesting about it is that it act, it sounds like the summary that you'd get in like a research project. Isn't it like, crazy? We looked at all these things in 3,000 participants in this study, and these are the key takeaway points in yeah. order to be able to provide somebody with diabetes the right care. That's what it sounds like. I'm also almost, I'm being boastful a little bit here, if I'm being honest, because you and I, you're a lovely person who comes on my podcast. Oh, you know what I mean? Like, we're not sitting in the same office talking to each other for a month about what we're going to do. No. You and I pop on when you have free time, and free time is in quotes, right? Like, when you you jump on here and I go, hey, Jenny, we're going to do that grand rounds thing. Let's do uh, what happens when you're diagnosed in your doctor's office today. And you go, uh... Okay, and then we chit-chat for five minutes about our lives. Then we have a conversation that when you asked AI, provide key takeaways, that's all it said. Mm -hmm. That's what it came up with. My point is, conversationally, is a good way to get out good information. Correct, absolutely. And that's how people's brains hear storytelling, not you reading a bullet point list to them. So, Right. Also, by the way, um, and this is pretty far off, but... That's not all I asked AI. What I said was provide key takeaways in English, Spanish, and Hindi. Wow. And it did that. So I I finally found a way, I think, people are always asking for to this. translate. In Spanish is a big one. And the podcast has become very big in India. There's a ton of dialects. So I don't, I just picked the one that I think is the most kind of central. Sure. So imagine these key takeaways in other languages for diabetes, pro tip series, for bold beginnings, for that kind of stuff going to be nice. So Scotty's on it in 2024. Don't worry. (laughs) 
Arden has been getting her diabetes supplies from U.S. Med for three years. You can as well. USmed.com slash juicebox or call 888-721-1514. My thanks to U.S. Med for sponsoring this episode and for being longtime sponsors of the Juicebox podcast. There are links in the show notes and links at juiceboxpodcast.com to U.S. Med and all of the sponsors. A huge thanks to the Contour Next Gen Blood Glucose Meter for sponsoring this episode of the Juicebox podcast. Learn more and get started today at contournext.com slash juicebox. I have one thing to tell you, uh, but I'll do it after the music. Hold on a second. So I waited until 50 people found this on their own to say it out loud, but I've added a thing. If you're listening in Apple podcasts, you can actually subscribe to the podcast, pay a fee. Um, now the whole podcast is free. So don't now you're like, well, why would I do that? Scott, if it's free, um, if you pay the fee, which I think is like five ninety nine a month or $59 a year, I think that's about it. If you do that, you will get currently, you will get the bold beginning series without ads in it. You will get the Diabetes Pro Tip series without ads in it, and uh, so far, one episode that has all the curses in it. Now, why did I wait until 50 people signed up on their own to bring this up? I wanted to make sure it would kind of pay for itself. This is not like a money, I'm not going to make any money on this, uh, because the editing on like pulling ads out of old episodes and, you know, making um, episodes with curses in it, it's going to cost money in editing. But anyway, now that there's 50 people. I'm going to tell you about it because if I can get, mm, I don't know, if I can get 50 more people to do it, I can add another series without ads and we can start offering um, episodes once in a while that have all the curses in them. So if I go crazy in some episode and we're cursing all the time and we can afford the editing, I know that sounds weird that it would cost money to not edit out a curse, but I have to edit the episode for the regular show. And then that basically means it has to be edited twice to leave the, uh, it's not important. This is just, it's what it is. It's an added expense. Anyway, if I see this pop up, another 50 people, 100 people, something like that, then I'll be able to turn to the editor and say, listen, every time you get one with a bunch of curses in it, give me two edits. Give me the cursey and the non-cursey. And that way the people who are paying for the subscription can hear the cursing. And as that builds up, um, a listenership that'll also afford me the ability to take ads out of some of the more popular series and offer them to the subscribers as well. Anyway, there's no pressure to do this, but you can if you want. Uh, besides what I mentioned, you get, I think you get each episode like 18 hours earlier than normal and um, ad free bull beginnings, ad free pro tip series, and some random cursing here and there. Anyway, do it, don't do it please. It's entirely up to you, but it's a great way to help me pay for more content. So if you're up for it, you'll see it right there in your Apple podcast app. If you're looking for community around type one diabetes, check out the juice box podcast, private Facebook group, juice box podcast, type one diabetes, but everybody is welcome. Type one, type two, gestational loved ones. It doesn't matter to me. If you're impacted by diabetes and you're looking for support, comfort, or community, Check out Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back soon with another episode of the Juicebox Podcast. The episode you just heard was professionally edited by Wrong Way Recording. 
wrongwayrecording.com.